And the other point is, some of you may have seen me uh, looking anxiously at my notes. I'll be honest with you, I'm stumbling between two messages the Lord gave me. And I'm trusting in him to be able to make a straight path through what he's given me. I'm very much touched by the, um, by the concept of the end days at the moment. And um, this is uh, really what we're, we're talking about here. If you're listening to the reading, uh, that lovely reading from Matthew 24, which either strikes terror or comfort into your heart. Um, right, I've called, the, I've called this talk Safely in Jesus. Will you be ready? Question mark. And the verse I've chosen really for today is verse 37. But as in the days of Noah, I'm sorry, in the, in the Matthew, Matthew 24. As in the days of Noah, or Noah, as our newer translations would have it, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And, uh, and that's what I'd like to, to think about a little this morning. And the first thing is, you may remember years ago, perhaps when you were young, mother or father, are you ready for school? Or it may be later, are you ready to go to the party? You're probably dressed. Or are you ready to get married? Or are you ready to pass an exam? It's very important to be ready, isn't it? And the most important thing to be ready for is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very, <laughs> it's vital. I don't need you to, to tell you, but probably it's good to remind ourselves of this most important event, this most important event, this appointment that we cannot put off to another day. So will we be ready or will we be lacking? and uh, not going to the party, foregoing the pleasures of the party, not taking the exam, not having the doors open to a career perhaps, and not being ready for the Lord, that door closed forever, a terrifying thought of being cast into outer darkness. Now we all have a natural curiosity to know what is happening in the last days when the Lord comes. It's natural. And as we look around us, we think about this pandemic and the huge implications it had on us. We read in our newspapers the some of the terrible things that are going on. We do wonder if those last days are here. Well, I certainly do. I'm sure it's crossed to all our minds. And Jesus' disciples were obviously curious as well as to when these things were happening. There's a um, there's a passage where they're sitting by the temple and they're asking when uh, all these things are going to take place. And he explains and tells them the temple's going to be destroyed, which they cannot believe and so on. So Jesus is getting near uh, in this chapter to his uh, death and resurrection. Um, but as is his want, his great love for his disciples, he wants to comfort them and to tell them and to assure them of what's going to happen and how they should react. And uh, they're naturally curious and uh, 
perhaps one of the first things they want to know, one we want to know is, when is Jesus coming? When is he coming? Well, obviously, the Bible very wisely tells us through the lips of Jesus that no man knows the day he's coming. Because um, if he's if it's known when he's coming, people who aren't ready can get ready or pretend to be ready for him coming. Uh, I remember when I was a school teacher, uh, in those days, the inspectorate that used to come to the schools used to give you a couple of years warning that they were coming. So everyone would have plenty of time to um, cut down vast forests of uh, trees to write reports and things, basically to patch up a lot of the holes that there might have been in one's teaching. Now they've changed it and they just ring up, I think, I don't know, perhaps there's some teachers here can correct me, but I think it's very short notice now, sort of almost, we're round the corner, we're going to drop in on you. And that's what it'll be like when the Lord Jesus comes. He's not going to, we're not going to know that day or date. But we should be able to sense something in what we see that he is coming. And more importantly than that, we need to be ready. Uh, he was telling the disciples to be ready because um, uh, he gave the impression that it was going to be very soon. But of course, that was 2000 years ago. But we don't know because a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day as we uh, hope. I hope we, we recall from our readings in Peter, I think it is, Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3. Um, and so 2,000 years later, um, we're still to be ready. So we're to be ready. And that's really at the heart of what I wanted to, to say this morning, <coughs> really, that we need to be ready, watch and to pray. So no man knows the day. Um, and of course, lots of people have made very silly predictions, haven't they? Um, all down through history, the, um, our friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or the folks we know uh, who claim to be Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they, 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 they've come up with various dates, I believe, and, and lots of people have. Uh, but of course, they're all in vain. Nobody knows the other. What Jesus does tell us is something of what it will be like. He tells us to, to look at the fig tree, to uh, look, notice the, the sign of summer coming that this fig tree betrays, um, and to see that in the signs in the world around us. And I have to confess, it's something that I probably do quite a lot of, actually. I probably spend too much time on one of these things on social media, looking at some of the, the things that people are saying, and maybe they're true, maybe they're not. Um, but I think what Jesus wants us to do is to, uh, is to watch. And by that, I believe he means not just to watch what's going on out there, but to watch ourselves. If you look up the, the word watch in um, uh, your um, Strong's Concordance or whatever you might have, it... it, it it talks about the idea of, of sobriety, in other words, being sober and being watchful and being in control of yourself. And, and that is the great danger. It's easy. I find it very easy to look at what's going on out there, all the terrible things. Oh, yes, the Lord's coming. Yes, I'm, um, I'm watching these things. But am I watching myself? Am I watching 
um, and waiting eagerly for the Lord? Or, or am I more like, well, the Lord's coming soon and I really would like to achieve this, that or the other. But no, we should be ready at all times, shouldn't we? We know that in our hearts. But living it out is di- more difficult, isn't it? There are so many troubles, there's so many trials, there's so many things that have to be attended to that can easily swamp us. And the Lord knew that. So he said, he told us to watch and pray, to watch ourselves, watch our conduct and watch that we're thinking of him, where we have our eyes on heaven at all times. Uh, we do quite a lot of preaching in the open air in our church and um, I've got a wonderful piece of advice from um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon how easy it is to get um, when you're in conversation with people in the street to be distracted and to start talking about all sorts of things as human beings do and he always says always keep one eye on the cross and we should do that all the time, shouldn't we? We should, be, we should be thinking of the Lord Jesus. We should be praying without ceasing, as Paul instructed us, which seems like an impossibility. But we can, we can approach to it. We can approach to it. So, uh, what will it be like? And what will it be like is summed up in our, our or encapsulated in our verse, but as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So really, I thought the sensible thing to do was to have a quick look at what things were like in the days of Noah. What, what were things like? Were they very different to today? What can we learn from those times? And um, I just want to read you a little bit from uh, Genesis 6. You can go there if you like. Um, Pretty easy to find the book of Genesis. And, and uh, Anyway, I'll just read it because uh, I was going to start at verse 5 in chapter 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And um, verse 11, a couple of verses down, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So, so that was the situation there. And um, one wonders, well, one can only use one's imagination to imagine what it would be like. Um, lots of violence, wars, fighting, um, lots of immorality, and uh, probably doesn't do to really imagine too much because we're, what we know, it was very evil. But then... So is the world that we live in, isn't it? So is the world we live in. I was looking something the Christian uh, Christian Institute sent oh, a month or two ago. I just happened to cross it yesterday. And it was talking about, um, the well, it was, the context was COVID. And it was talking about the number of deaths that had been in the last year, 2020. And there was a big table on it. And the COVID deaths, were, I think, was about 2 million 
in 2020. Of course, it's more now because obviously we've moved on another seven months, about two million. But um, there were some other things as well. Cancer was a lot bit. No, was it cancer or blood, heart disease, something like 10 million, much more than COVID. But you know what the biggest one was? 73 million deaths were due to abortion. Now, I don't know what you feel about that. I don't want to tread on anybody's toes, but the Bible tells us that it's wrong. And um, quite often in the Bible, the peoples in the Bible are condemned by God for offering their children in the fire, aren't they? Yeah, that's one of the dreadful things they used to do. They used to sacrifice their children to the god Molech in order to appease him. So foolish. But are we very different today? Are we so very different? So things were pretty bad then, and in many ways they're, they're pretty bad now. So, so that's the situation. Um, but in some ways, it's the things that are a lot less dramatic. And I'm thinking particularly of, of our verse. Uh, sorry, not as of our verse, but a, a, a one related to it back there in Matthew. And uh, I've lost my place. All the little bits of paper have fallen out. But there we are, Matthew 24. Um, yes, it's the next verse on. So our verse is, But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah... That Noah... Noah entered into the ark. Well, a lot of people would read that and they think, well, what's wrong with eating and drinking? Of course, the answer is nothing. It's part of life, isn't it? What's wrong with marrying and giving in marriage? Nothing. It's a good thing. But what the point that Jesus is making here is that um, that's the only thing that people thought about. They only thought they were thinking about their current life, they weren't thinking about the Lord Jesus. Well, they, they couldn't think about the Lord Jesus because they didn't have a name. But they weren't thinking about God, which they should have been. Because they had the same things that we have. They had the creation, a wonderful inspiration. Where does it come from? The, the, the creation, nature, what you'd call it, um, is... Uh, is, is to a certain extent, a ref well, it's a reflection of God, isn't it? The beauty of it and, and the, the magnificent workings of it. So they had, the they had the creation to look for. They had their consciences that would have told them that what was right and wrong, but they didn't heed them. And they had conversation with one another because in those days there was no written, as far as we know, there was no written scripture. It was passed down very carefully by word of mouth, wasn't it? So they knew the things that had been done in the past. They knew the blessings that had been made to Adam and that promise of the seed of the woman that bruised the head of the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. They'd have known those things, but they chose to disregard them. So nothing wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage, but that was all it was. And I mentioned the open air a few moments ago. If you've ever done any work, well, I'm sure if you've ever spoken to people who don't know the Lord, um, their, their life is, 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 is geared around those things. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. We see them in the high street and they come and, and they say, oh, you're just talking a load of rubbish. And, and they go into shops and they buy this and they just think it's going to go on and on and it's never going to come to an end. That's what people think. 
with they think so short term though and we're guilty of the same thing as well aren't we because God's put inside us this this um the sense that we're going to live forever well we're certainly eternal but whether we live forever or whether we die forever of course we make up here in this world don't we in our acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ so that was the problem they were they'd ignored God and that's the problem today isn't it so so many people it's so hard to talk to people um, about the Lord even to mention his name let alone all the other things we come across the stumbling blocks maybe creation or maybe uh, maybe the bible can't trust the bible and so on and so forth so there they go so did they have an excuse now let's read on in the next verse and it says um uh then sh- oh well wait a minute sorry about this um for as in the days that that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Well, did they not know? They should have done. I don't know if you remember, but Noah was preaching to them and he was telling them that disaster was coming, that their sins would be visited upon them. Um, I don't know whether he used the word flood, but he'd been told, as we know, by by the Lord God to build this ark, a boat structure, incredible structure. And his warning to the people was, God is going to judge us. So they had no excuse. As I say, it says um, that that they were, um, they knew not until the flood came. They should have done, they should have listened to Noah, but they didn't. They didn't listen to him, just as very often they don't listen to us if we're trying to tell them about the Lord. So let's just have briefly have a look at, uh, at Noah. This is uh, God's solution to the problem, um, who we've already touched on, of course, Noah. And, and this is what it says about him. It says in verse 8, back there in chapter 6 of Genesis, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, one man found grace he wasn't a perfect man but he found grace he found favor unmerited favor because that's what grace is isn't it it's something that we uh, god gives to us not for anything that we've done but because of his choice his choice in eternity past so noah found grace with god and then noah, then noah is confided in by god we go to drop down to verse 13 noah said to god the earth, the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold i will destroy them with the earth that was the message he must have given the earth is going to be destroyed and then verse 14 he's told to make the ark now, as someone who's fairly practical, and it's quite, often, quite a lot of my work in life has been spent doing practical things, I'm intrigued how the ark was made, because it's so big, and we, we don't know much about their technology then, but it's a wonder. But none, none of that here. The, the ark was, is a, <coughs> I was going to say, I was putting my notes because I thought there some children here. The ark is not just a lovely story, the story that um, has been made up. It's true. 
It's absolutely true because it's in the Bible. There's even some evidence of it, isn't there? There's a lot of people claim to have found remains of it in Turkey. It doesn't really make much difference, but it's kind of nice to think that it might still be there. And there's no reason why it couldn't be because it was only just a few thousand years ago. So he prepares the ark at great expense, personally. You know, it must have cost him a lot in terms of materials, the trees that have had to be cut down and sacrificed, if you like, instead of being used for making other things, furniture or goodness knows what. Um, they were sacrificed to make the ark, which he wonderfully made. And um, as you know, it tells us that um, he preached for preach righteousness to the people. So there was no excuse for the people there. They, 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 they would have known there's a problem. But what did they do? We can imagine they just laughed at him. They just they just like, what on earth are you building this structure for? What's the point of building a boat? Because we're nowhere near the sea. Um, and probably Noah must have thought to himself that at some stage. But he trusted God. He trusted God. And today that God is building his church. And sometimes it seems to us, you think, well, it doesn't seem to be growing, Lord. Certainly not here in the West. Is it ever going to float, so to speak? Is it ever going to carry us away? But of course it will do. It will do. So there we have Noah. And there we have him preparing the ark, ready for, um, ready to face God's judgment. And the people ignoring God's provision. And um, if we move up to today, obviously no ark for us to go into. There's no ark for us to retreat to. Um, but there is the church. There is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is who the Lord God has sent to save us this day. The Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this quite a lot recently and reminded again when we are... Uh, we're having the Lord's table a few minutes ago. The blood of Jesus is what protects us. Now, just as in that ark, the wood that the ark was made from protected them from the vast storms that were coming down upon them from above and from the deep below, it buoyed them up. The wood and the timbers that, that, that Noah had made protected them. And what protects us from the wrath of God? It's the blood of Jesus. Because if Jesus' blood had not been shed, we, our blood, would have to be shed for our sins. We've all sinned, haven't we? Every one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And those sins have got to be paid for. And we will have to pay for them if we don't ask Jesus into our life and we don't trust and believe that he has paid for those sins at Calvary in full with no small print, no terms and conditions. He's paid for that by his blood. And that's what protects us. D.L. Moody was once asked by someone who doubted their salvation. So if that's you, if you, if you lack assurance, as some of us do, might be helpful to know what Mr. Moody said. This man or lady came up to him and said, I, I, I believe the things in the Bible, Mr. Moody, but um, I just don't feel that I'm saved. I just don't get the feelings that I'm being saved. I'm, I'm saved. So he said, and he referred to the ark, he said, 
Do you think those eight people in the ark uh, were saved by their feelings? And of course they weren't. They were saved by the ark. They were saved by the, the wood around them. And we are saved by the blood of Jesus and by trusting in him. And um, I know, as I, I relate that to you, because I know many people have a very dear friend who is undoubtedly saved and gloriously used of God, who doubts his salvation, who lacks assurance. But it is, and there are many, many lovely Christians who do. Um, but it is a gift of God, and it is available. And I would, in, I would, in, I'd encourage you to to, to seek after to that. This flood that came was unimaginably terrifying. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it. I'm sure you have. All these people who are happily eating and drinking and marrying and so on and so forth and thinking Noah was a fool. On that day when the ark is full and the door has been shut by God, <coughs> the rain would have started to fall. And in those days, as far as I know, it had never rained. The earth was watered by a mist that went over the ground. Something along those lines. I can't be certain, maybe it did rain. But I, I get the strong, strong impression from the Bible that it had never rained. So imagine how fearful that would be if there's this boat and then there's all these animals gone to it and this man and the doors shut. And then it starts, to, the sky gets grey and then starts to, to rain. And it's rained very heavily. And what would they have done? They'd have sought uh, higher ground or maybe climbed a tree or maybe climbed a, a mountain. But they couldn't get away from it because it was a worldwide flood, wasn't it? I don't know whether you believe that or not. A lot of people would have us believe it was just a little local flood and didn't really affect um, the whole world. But I believe it did, and there's very, very good scientific evidence to back that up. And there's very good written evidence in terms of the accounts in many cultures throughout the world, all around the globe, of a story that has got the same kind of threads in it as the story of Noah and the other seven people and, and the animals. Some of the stories, the name of the person even begins with N. In others, and in many of them, there's eight people. It's remarkable. Why is that? That's because before the Tower of Babel, that would have been common knowledge. And then as it spread out, the stories got changed and so on and so forth. But it's very interesting, that is. I think there's something like 200 different cultures, or maybe even more. Wonderful, wonderful that God provides these pieces of evidence. He doesn't have to, um, but it's very comforting, isn't it? So, what have we learned? We have learned today that as in the days of Noah, so it shall be, uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And we've looked and we've seen that we should be watching a world events, uh, although in my case, maybe your case, I don't know, not spending too much time watching the events, but watching ourselves and making sure that we are ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says 
not quite sure exactly where it is, um, but watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch ourselves, but pray. Prayer seems to me, at the moment, it's a message I seem to be hearing in quite a few different places. The importance of, of prayer on a deep level, of communing with the Lord, with, with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit, communing, spending time in prayer. And really, that's what our Christian life should be about anyway, all along. Some of the, the very, very best men and women of God have spent many hours in prayer every day. Um, I was reading a book recently by a man, American man, can't remember his name at the moment, Ian Bounds, I think it was, yeah. He used to spend every day, he spent three hours in prayer, got up very early in the morning so he could do the things he had to do. Now, I've never done that, um, but I have lengthened the time I've spent praying because that's our source of power, isn't it, so to speak. We go to God, we were singing about it earlier on, about being broken-hearted and, and empty and so on and so forth. We go in humility, don't we, to the Lord and uh, preferably on our knees. I find that a very helpful position to go in here, acknowledging our littleness and our smallness in comparison with God, Almighty God, and going to him for succour as the uh, old-timers would call it, for comfort and encouragement. Watch and pray. Because, um, as I alluded a little earlier, it's so easy for us to be distracted. There are so many things in the world that would pull our attention away from the Lord. Happens all the time, isn't it? I know if I have a quiet time and the phone hasn't been switched off, you get a little bleep and it's, <laughs> shall I answer it? No, you don't answer it, you leave it. Probably best to switch your phone off, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> which I've started to do a little more. It's too easy to constantly pay attention to these little prompts and these little things that are always pulling our attention there. Too easy to be comfortable and to be asleep. We know many of the parables the Lord Jesus told about uh, servants requiring not, not to be sleeping. We have the, um, the, the ten virgins, all did actually go to sleep, but five of them had oil and five of them didn't. It's the same kind of thing. They're not refreshed with the, uh, with the word of God and with the spirit of God. They're sleeping. And I don't know where each one of you is today. Only the Lord knows. Um, I, would, I, would, um, I would guess that most of you here know the Lord. And you know... Uh, your your destination you know your sins are forgiven and you have peace with god and you're going to heaven mm. and that is what all our all god's children uh, have um but it's always as well i find as as a, a speaker to throw the net out in case there are folks that don't know um, that Jesus died on the cross, not for anything he'd done wrong, 
but only for the wrongs that we've done. And if we trust in that wonderful, selfless and unimaginably costly sacrifice, as I said earlier, that blood that was shed will protect us from the wrath of God. Because if we'd have read a bit further in Hebrews, after our brother read a lovely little passage there, we'd have come to verse 22 that says, um, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It's a very stark verse, and it probably wouldn't go down very well with, uh, with vegan friends, but it's a fact. It's a fact. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And what it's what's reminding us is that if something's wrong, been done wrong, it's got to be paid for. We know that from civil life. If you commit a crime, um, you'll have to pay for it. And it's the same with our sins, isn't it? They've been committed. They can't be uncommitted. They've got to be take. They've got to be blotted out. They've got to be forgotten by God, and that can only happen if the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. As our dear sister sang a little while ago about being whiter than snow. How wonderful! How wonderful that is. So, I guess we could perhaps remind ourselves that nobody can get to heaven on their own strength. Um, George Whitfield had a nice phrase saying you're trying to get to heaven by the good things that you do is like trying to climb to heaven by a rope made of sand. Utterly fallible. Which probably good to remind ourselves or as well also that there was only one door in that ark. Only one way in to the safety. And many way, many people trying to find different ways to God, don't they? I could certainly put my hand up to that one. And perhaps some of you here could as well. There's only one way. And people say, well, that's very, very exclusive. That's very, and it's getting harder and harder to make statements like this in the world we live in. Is it not? Because they're not inclusive enough. They're not including everybody. But that's God's law. There's only one way, only one God. You wouldn't expect there to be another way really. So what I would leave you this morning is to um, to think about those times in the past uh, with Noah and the ark, God's wonderful provision for man's sinfulness and his current provision under the New Testament is wonderful provision, provision through the Lord Jesus Christ that we trust and believe in him. We can have our sins forgiven and we can go to heaven and be with God and with Jesus for all eternity. So uh, the last word I'd say to you is to watch and pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, that um, I think, timely message. I think the Lord is certainly challenging us to be watchful at the moment uh, here at Quinton and to look to the Lord alone.
He's the door, isn't he? As, as he says in John's, John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is only one door, there's only one way. And praise God, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone.